you've heard the saying, there's, one, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? This is, this is a saying, evidently. I've heard it, and, and I've just repeated it. Now, I don't know why you would want to skin a cat, <laughs> but evidently there's more than one way to do it, <laughs> according to the saying. There's more than one way to do a lot of things in life. There's more than one way to cook. There's more than one way to drive, evidently, if you've ever driven with your father-in-law or something like that. You know, you, you know that there's more than one way to, to drive. And... and uh, you know, that's great. That's great. Everybody has different ways of doing things, and that's great, and, it's a, and it's a, it's a, it is creative and a tribute to rugged individualism. However, there's only one way to achieve salvation. Of all the things that there are a myriad of ways to do them, there's one way to receive, to achieve salvation. What way is that? Is it by being a good person? No. It is simply having faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is just believing in Him. It's believing and receiving Christ in your life. Now, if you truly believe in Jesus, if you really have a saving faith in Christ, your faith will not only save you, but it will work in you and it will, there will be a working of God's spirit in you and this faith that is present if indeed you do have that saving faith will do some very important things in your life and I think we can look to these things that the saving faith will do and accomplish uh, as, as kind of an evidence that we do have a saving faith amen so our text tonight will teach us that our faith in Jesus will have an effect on us, that it's very powerful. And we're going to look at three things that it should do in our lives. First, that if saving faith should eliminate pride in our lives, saving faith will cause our performance to be better understood. And lastly, saving faith will provide a proof of the righteousness of Christ in our life. So let's look at this passage tonight. Pride would be, should be eliminated through the power of saving faith in our life. So let's look at chapter 3 of Romans, beginning at verse 27. It says this, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Paul continues in his letter here to the Romans, and 
we're, 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 we've moved into this, this passage, this, this part of the letter where he's talking about salvation and he's talking about, uh, you know, of course, he, we, he just got through basically making this case of how we're totally just lost without God. I mean, we're just, you know, remember the spiritual x-ray that we had and, and it just came up really bad. I mean, it was just like, you know, whoa, you know, from head to toe, there was no hope for us. You know, from our, from our minds to our mouth to our feet, it was bad. And then it talked about, you know, coming to Christ and coming into salvation through faith in him. And one of the things that faith, saving faith, should do in our lives is that it should, it, there will be a kind of a pride elimination process in our lives. And I think this takes like almost like a, um, you know, like a spit valve on a trumpet, like, you know, where you get the spit out of the trumpet, you know, you got to get the pride out of the life of the Christian. And one of the ways that does that is actually kind of focusing on and understanding what true saving faith is and the power of true saving faith. Because what happens is ultimately people, we will, as human beings, want to look at every other reason, every other thing as to the reason that we've kind of come into relationship with God or that we have uh, salvation. Um, you know, there's, there's this tendency, even though, you know, someone might fully understand the grace of God. Yes, it's the grace of God. It's the gift of God. You know, it's not of ourselves. It's, it's, it's the gift of God. But then we just have this tendency to kind of you know, drift off of true north. The compass kind of needs to be calibrated, recalibrated in that sense, because we always kind of drift towards works. We always try to drift towards, well, now we kind of got this thing and we got it figured out. And that will ultimately lead to a self-righteousness and pride, and it gets really ugly. It gets really ugly. And if you've been around the church and you've been around certain parts of the church and certain relationships and stuff, it, it just can be really ugly. And I just want to live in a faith-filled, grace-filled, power of the saving faith of Christ in my life type of zone. <laughs> Amen? Because when you get out of those lanes and you start taking detours, it, it, again, it gets really bad. It gets really ugly. So... A true saving faith should, pride should be eliminated from our lives. Boasting in this sense, having anything to kind of boast about, having anything that might kind of make, you know, puff us up or we present, you know, some, somehow something that we've done or something that we are, the pedigree, the, the resume, the whatever it would be that we would kind of come up with. You know, when it comes to saving faith, it's just going to be eliminated. It's not that those things aren't important. It's not that those things shouldn't be celebrated in some context. It's just when it comes to saving faith, there's not really like a place in that, for that. I mean, we talked about it last time when we were in our study that, you know, no flesh will glory in the presence of God, right? So there's no, no one's going to be boasting about like, well, I did this and look at me and I'm, you know, we're great. You know, it's not going to be anything like the Super Bowl in that sense. We're going to be not celebrating what we have. I remember there was a Super Bowl. This was going way back. 
when the when the Bills were losing all those Super Bowls, remember that? And one year the Dallas Cowboys beat beat the the, the Bills, and the, the player for the Cowboys was being interviewed after the game. This is immediately after the game, and uh, <clears throat> so the reporter was on the field inter- interviewing this particular player, and you know, how do you feel about winning the Super Bowl, and how did you feel about your performance out there? He says, well, I was just really really glad that I, ha- I was able to showcase my talent. <laughs> you know, okay. <clears throat> okay, great for the Super Bowl, not so great for this whole thing about salvation, okay? <clears throat> Boasting is excluded by the law of faith because we learn from the law that we're saved by faith. We learn from the word, we learn from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Paul's referring to the Old Testament here because the New Testament's being written. And so he's referring back to the Old Testament. He says, look, look, the law of faith excludes boasting. Boasting is excluded by the law of faith. So man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so this is something that needed to be explained because you have this law, you have this law that contained all these commandments. Right? You have the law that contained all the statutes. And part of living the Jewish life, part of, part of living an, a God-honoring, God-fearing life was kind of, you know, obeying the statutes, keeping the commandments. And, and so, you know, it really, it really takes a, you know, kind of a, of, a, of a doing, of an understanding spiritually to really kind of wrap our heads around that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So look at that. Go back to the text. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, the law of faith. Not not of works, not of keeping the commandments, but the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So then Paul goes on in verse 29, he says, or is he the God of the Jews only? What about the Gentiles? Is he, is he the God? Can God only be the God, of the, God, the God of the people that were his people, that were his chosen people, the, the people that had the law, the people, remember we talked about this, about people feeling, well, we have the law. We're the Jews, we're the chosen people. We received the law. Well, Moses received it. Moses received it from the angels. The angels delivered it from Moses. Moses delivered it to the people, but we received it from God, okay? And so we're great. We're just great. We're the greatest things in sliced bread. You know, we're, we're awesome, you know? And, um, and so, but the question is, verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? No. He's, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he's the God of all people. He, he, he wants to be the God of all people. He's the creator of all people. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. He spoke all things into existence, and he's calling all people, whether the Jews or Gentiles. The call goes out across the earth, from the north, the south, the east, the west, to the four corners. The, the call goes out for anyone, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And how that happens is through faith. And so it's not to the Jews only. It's not to those only that had the commandments. It's not those only that, you know spent their life or their childhood and we had it all together and we you know there's there's you know that's a trip that will literally like you know has sent people on just crazy 
trips and things and it has just caused all kinds of problems in the church because it ends up not only, not only being self-righteous and prideful, but then it ends up being super judgmental and ultimately gets into error and it gets into, um, ultimately it leads to like stuff that's just pure, plain, not biblical, not, not correct exegesis of, of the passages, of, of, the, of the particular passages, and, and, and it's bad. So we, we realize Paul's making the point, he's the God of the Jews and the Gentiles, and, and, and this is the way he says, verse 30, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So whether, whether you're Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. You're going to be the Lord's. You're going to be saved in the exact same way. And not only will people today be saved in the exact same way, whether Jew or Gentile, but through all time, through all time, going all the way back and all the way forward, everyone that will be saved will be saved the exact same way, and that is going to be by faith. By faith. And we learn that. So he says, now wait a second. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We establish the law because the law, salvation through faith, is part of the law. Amen? So we establish it. We establish it. So pride gets eliminated when we take our daily dose of he did it all for me. Thank God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You saved me. You did, you did it. You're my Lord and Savior. And thank you so much for the free gift. And, um, you know, yeah. I'm one of those people, look, I know, I know myself too much to think for a second that I could have done anything <laughs> to, to, uh, to achieve salvation, you know? And if you're being honest with yourself, if we're all being honest, right? Yeah, and that's what happens. I think, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody becomes dishonest with themselves. Somebody somewhere becomes dishonest with themselves thinking that they've somehow done something, contributed something to the equation of their salvation other than faith. That's it. That's the only thing you can contribute is faith. Believe upon Christ. Believe and receive. Um, so, pride eliminated. Performance then should be understood. Of The power of faith should br bring an understanding of our performance going forward in Christ. Let's pick it up in chapter 4, let's move to the next chapter. Paul moves on. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes upon on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So a true saving faith, a pow- the power of faith in our life that's truly saving faith is going to put our performance going forward in perspective so that we understand it. So our performance should be understood by faith, but through the power of faith. So if we are justified by faith, then where does that place our performance in the equation? We've got to go back to the equation. Let's go back to the equation of faith. So far, it's Christ and everything that he's done on our behalf and our just believing and receiving. That's it. Equals salvation. Nothing else, you can't add anything else, you can't add anything in terms of like, you know, who you are, your DNA, your pedigree, where you went to college, you know, well, we grew up, we were, you know, we were good Baptists, or we were good Pentecostals, or we were good, you know, we, we, you know, we were good Catholics, we went and we did, you know, we did all the, all the Our Fathers and the, all the Hail Marys and we had the beads and everything, we did everything, right? You know, no, there's nothing. It's just believing, receiving, everything that Christ has done on our behalf. And so that's the equation. Because we are saved, then we can do the works of the law. We can begin to perform. We can begin to obey the Lord. We can begin to walk in righteousness because he's saved us. So our performance is understood this way, that we begin to do the good works, the good things in response to what Christ has done for us in response to salvation, in response to us being a new person in him, in response to just being given a brand new life, a clean slate. We begin to move forward from that standpoint. So again, because we're saved, we can then begin to perform the way God wants us to. Paul brings up Abraham. The scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was credited to his account. It was accounted. It's like, you know, Paul loves to use some some, um, analogies and metaphors in his letters. He loves sports analogies and he also loves accounting (laughs) analogies for whatever reason. I, I I would never want to be an accountant. I mean, I, any accountant, anybody who has to look at numbers all day, I mean, that part of, you know, and I have to look at some numbers, but I mean, you know, that's not what like really gets me fired up and excited. I want to be doing stuff. I don't want to be sitting here looking at some ledger, you know, but there's a ledger and Paul's bringing up the ledger and he's saying there's a ledger and Abraham got righteousness put onto, onto the plus side of, 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 on his ledger because of faith in Christ. It wasn't because he obeyed the commands. He wasn't because he was in the lineage from Shem, from Adam. That was, that's all great, and we can trace the lineage back. We can do the genealogies, and we go, oh, look, Abraham. Oh, wait, let's go back a little further. Oh, Shem. You know, Noah. Oh, okay. That wasn't it. It was because he believed God, because he had faith in God to do things that were literally 
just pure miracles. He believed that God would give him a son when it was literally impossible for him to give a son. It, we, he believed God and left his home, left Ur the Chaldees, he left Babylon and left and went to a land that God was going to show him that was, that was going to be given to his, his descendants. So Abraham, you know, in this accounting, in this ledger, has just the righteousness of God put on the thing. It's like you, you know, you open up your, you know, you open up when you finally do have to look at it. You know, so that's that. I will admit this. That's the biggest problem with financial problems. People that have a lot of financial problems. Anybody have any fun? No, don't, don't raise your hand. But, but have you ever had any financial problems or found yourself? One of the biggest problems, one of the biggest reasons that people find themselves in financial problems is because they don't look at it. They don't look at the information. They have no idea what's going on. You talk to them, like, what's going on? You're finding, I don't know. Well, when's the last time? Like, Get it all out and look at it. Do you know what you, where, where your money's going? Do you know if you owe money? Do you know how much? A lot of people don't eat, have no idea. I know I owe a, a bunch of money. How much? I don't know. That's not good. You got to know it all. You got to know it all. All right? This, this is good. This is Dave Ramsey right here. This is good Dave Ramsey stuff. All right? So, all right. So, when you look at it, you got this ledger, and Paul is saying, look, Abraham, you did, there was nothing that you could have on, on the positive side of your ledger, but if you believe God, God comes in and he credits and he gives you like just these massive credits of his righteousness on your ledger. And so you can be excited when you open up your spiritual ledger book. You can be pumped. You can be excited. You know, it's like one of those, you know, when you go to the, when you go to the mailbox, you know, and most of it, some useless uh, advertisement for a, like a lawn service or it's a, you know, a, like a security system. If you have a lawn service security system, that's fine. You know, they're, they're very important. But, but <laughs> or it's somebody asking you to borrow money. Have you seen these? It looks like it's a check made out to you. Oh, somebody sent me a check. Oh, no, they want to, they want me to borrow money. Now, there is that rare occasion, that rare occasion, that when you go to the mailbox and it actually is a check. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It actually is a check and you open it up and it's a check and it's made out to you and it's like, oh, yeah. That's, that's the feeling. That's what we get to do when we go look at our spiritual ledger. Amen? Amen. He's got righteousness credited to his account. Now, someone who works for salvation, he says the, the wages are not ca- counted as grace, but as debt. So here's Abraham, and he's saying, look, here's how it happened for Abraham. Abraham was saved, and righteousness, the righteousness of God, was put in, in credited to his account on his ledger because of his faith in God, because he believed God. Now, if someone works for their salvation, Paul says, the wages are then not counted as the grace of God, the gift of God, but debt. How's that? Well, because if you go to work and you do your work, at the end of the week, 
Your employer is not giving you a gift. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. He is indebted to you. He owes you that money, right? So that's not, so the wages are not a gift. It's not being, oh, here, here you go. That's, that, the, the wages are not uh, the free gift, but it's, it's, it's debt of, of the person that now owes you for that. So he is obligated to pay you for your work. Now, this is why, this is, this is one of the reasons that I, develop, I, I came up with this. I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this. Google's listening or somebody's listening. But I actually have a philosophical... <laughs> I have a philosophical argument that income is not income. That basically that it's an even trade. Like, you know, for some reason, we look at income as like you go to work and then you get income and then the government says, oh, great, let me see how much it is and let me get my share. No, 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 this, this wasn't income. This was a fair, even trade. We agreed together that I was going to give this portion of my life to you, the company, and in return, you're going to give me this. Anyways, I digress. Okay. <laughs> Strike that from the record, from the tape, from the podcast. Anyways, I have, I have not yet found anybody to challenge me on that point. So um, anyways, where was I? Oh, so, so, so wages are a debt of the, the, the employer. So, but that's not what salvation is. Salvation is a free gift of God. Salvation is a free gift of God. So salvation, if a person could earn right standing with God by work, salvation wouldn't be free. It would be by God's obligation, like a paycheck for our efforts. And this is where it breaks down. And this is what Paul is explaining. The gospel of grace helps us understand our performance. Faith puts our performance going forward in our life in Christ in, in its place in perspective. Our works, our good works that he prepared beforehand in advance that we should walk in them is a response to us having received the free gift of God. So here's where it started. You received the free gift. You believed upon Christ. You received the free gift, which is the gift of God, eternal life. You received it freely. It's grace given to you. Now, performance is that which you are able to walk in now because you have received the free gift of God, because you've received the grace, because you humbled yourself and believed upon Christ and received him. Now you're able to move forward in your performance, in your walks of faith, in your works of, of, of righteousness for God's sake. Amen? Amen? So it's a response for us of having received the gift of God. Our works are a response of us having received the gift of God. The one who trusts in Jesus Christ receives his righteousness, receives the righteousness of God. And David describes this, and Paul Quoting from the psalm, the psalmist, 
Blessed are, and I love these psalms, and there's a bunch of these. So David could have picked a few, but he could have just really gotten, you know, he could have just really kind of made this even longer, this section, by, you know, just going back and finding even more. But he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So it is, it ends up being a fantastic gift because for all have sinned and fall short short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We're not there yet, but he's going to make that statement later on in the letter. The wages of sin is death. So we actually did have, we did have a paycheck coming. We did have a paycheck coming that the Lord upon us receiving, believing upon Christ and receiving, he intercepted that paycheck. He said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and I'm going to give you the free gift. I'm going to give you eternal life. So blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are, are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So with these types of verses in our minds as believers, it is, I'm not going to say I don't understand how you get there to the, to the kind of the self-righteous, pompous, pious place. But we can do ourselves a favor in kind of helping us stay where we need to stay in terms of our perspective and, and understanding what our performance is going forward in, in having these types of verses and being reminded of these truths on a regular routine basis. And that's why, um, you know, if you spend a lot of time in the Psalms and you spend a lot of time in the Proverbs, you end up being, you'll, you'll probably end up becoming a worshiper, thankful, and a wise person and not a fool. <laughs> right? So, yeah. If you want to be those, if you want to be a worshiper, if you want to be thankful, if you want to be happy, and if you want to be wise in your life, then, you know, you spend a lot of time in the Psalms and Proverbs. Amen. And so, blesses the man to whom the Lord shall not impute his sin. So, and then lastly tonight, um, there's a proof of the righteousness. So if, if we've had pow- the power of saving faith in our lives, and that has uh, begun this process of eliminating pride in our lives so that, we, that, that there's no longer a boast in ourselves, but we're just, you know, just thankful for the saving grace of God. Uh, and then we have a, a proper understanding of our performance going forward as we're living our life for Christ. Well, also kind of you look at your life and you kind of like, you need a, you ever feel like you just need that assurance, you need kind of that proof that I'm saved, that, that, that proof of that I truly have received the righteousness of God. And this is what Paul says here in this section, a proof of righteousness. Pick it up, verse 9. He says, does, the bless, does this blessedness, then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. 
that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who are not only are of the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Okay, so you need a proof. People want a proof of their salvation. They want a sign that lets them know, hey, I'm okay with God. Maybe you've had that feeling in your life. Like, you know, if you've ever listened to somebody teaching or something and they've asked you, like, how do you know that you're saved? Well, I'm saved. Well, well, how do you know? Well, well, Jesus said I was saved. Or you know, whatever, whatever your response is. What's the proof? What's the proof of your salvation, of the righteous, that you have received the righteousness? God gave Abraham a sign of his righteousness. It was circumcision. Was righteousness accredited? So, but, but, Paul, but Paul, he's always kind of, he's very methodical, he's very logical, and he's very methodical. And so he'll throw out a statement, and then he'll back up and go, no, wait a second. That's kind of how I am. Like how I, you know, I like to do that, because I like, you know, spent so much time you know, going through the New Testament and whatever, that you, know, you kind of develop this kind of you know, Pauline type of thinking. Like, you, know, you throw out a statement, now, now wait a second. If this is true... What about Abraham, or what about David, or what about this situation? So this is what Paul's doing. So he gave him a sign of righteousness, and that sign was circumcision. Now, wait a second. Was righteousness accredited to Abraham's account while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Did it happen when he was circumcised? It was like, okay, you're not, you're not righteous. You're just, you know, you're doing your thing. You're, you're totally, you know, on your own. Okay, boom, you're, you're circumcised. Hey, Abraham, you're good. Or was it at some point after? Was it immediately after? Okay, you're circumcised. Now you're good. Now you're walking. Paul answers the question. It was accredited to him. The righteousness of God was accredited to him while he was uncircumcised. And I think that this is probably, this is you know, pretty important for us to, to remember and understand. And that this order was the order so that that Abraham, being the father of faith, can be the father, the example to us. That, that it's, not, it's not in this sign. The sign is the evidence. The sign is the proof that we have received the righteousness of God. Amen? So, so go back to the text there. Verse 10. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So he basically goes on to make the point that this order was very important so that it could be shown that... God's the God of all people, that he's the God of every single person, whether they've received circumcision, whether they've received physical circumcision or not, 
that salvation comes through faith in believing upon Christ, receiving him into your life, and that you're saved, and then you begin to walk with Christ. But when you do that, when you truly have saving faith, and you are saved, and righteousness is credited to your account, as it was for Abraham, you know that you have received the righteousness of God because there is a sign, a proof of that, a proof that you have received the righteousness. Now, for, for Abraham, what was that proof? The proof was circumcision. And, and this is what God told Abraham. I'll have it up on the screen. Genesis 17, 11. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be sign of the, a sign of the covenant between me and you. What is this? You shall receive this sign in your foreskins. You be, shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Well, what was the covenant? The covenant was that he was going to be saved, that he was going to be blessed, that he was going to be the father of many nations, that his seed would come and bless all the families of the earth. Right? It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now remember this covenant. God signed this covenant with himself. Remember? Remember your, your Genesis pros. Remember your, your certificates. You got certificate. You got a degree in Genesis. You've been to South Coast. He signed the covenant with himself. Remember, Abraham was over there in a stupor. What's that over there? He's over there asleep. He's groggy. He's what a, there's some oven, smoking oven, you know, going in between the pieces of the, of the sacrifice. What is this? It was literally the Lord walking in between the cutting of the covenant. And he's literally cutting the covenant with himself. He looked to see if there was anybody that could kind of, that he could swear by. And there was no one higher than him. So he swore by himself. Amen? Amen. So he signed. It wasn't even as if he presented us with a covenant, a contract, and said, here, I've signed here, now you sign at the X. It wasn't even that. It was, I want you to believe in this covenant between you and me, and look, I've signed both the places, both the X's, I signed my name. Wow, that's powerful, and that's incredible. And so then the... the, the, the the cutting away of the foreskin, the circumcision, then becomes, as, as God told Abraham, Abraham here, it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. It shall be a sign. It shall be a proof. Now, now what about circumcision? One of the commentators I read, is, he said this, it was not circumcision as such that was important. For in antiquity, other nations than Israel were circumcised the Egyptians, and most of the other ancient Semites and the people adjacent to Israel, except, of course, the Philistines who were, the, who were uncircumcised. 
It was the circumcision given by God as a sign that mattered. This sign is further explained as a seal. In iniquity, in antiquity, in iniquity, <laughs> in antiquity, a seal was often a mark of ownership, as when a man sealed property to show that it was his. But it was also a means of attestation. And it seems that it is this way that we should take it here. God gave this sign of circumcision and by doing so set his seal on the righteousness imputed to the patriarch Abraham. This righteousness was by faith and he set his seal upon it and it was his seal, it was Yahweh's seal and he set his seal upon the patriarch Abraham thus saying, this guy's mine and he is my righteousness. Yes. Amen? Amen? So let's bring this into the, around the fourth turn at Indy, right? <laughs> around the fourth turn and around, oh no, Daytona's coming up, right? Super Bowl's over, Daytona's next. What does Paul say about this for the Christian, for the person in the New Testament? This is how he says it. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, I'll have it on the screen. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So, Christian, you've been sealed. Also, you have been sealed. Many of us Gentiles, maybe some of Jewish descent, I don't know, do your 23 and me and figure it out. Okay? No, 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 because then they'll have your DNA and all that. No, no, no. You've been sealed. You've been sealed with the promise of the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us. It's, he's marked us. Margaret Becker put it this way. She was a contemporary Christian musician way back in the late 80s, early 90s. She had a song called Soul Tattoo. That is a great song. Look it up on, um, look it up on uh, iTunes tonight. Just go out from here. Put it, if you got Spotify or uh, Apple Music or whatever you got, look it up. Margaret Becker, Soul Tattoo, and turn it up. And it was about having that seal on our soul, on our spirit. It's like a tattoo on our soul that we're his, that we're marked, that it's an attestation of the fact that we have received the righteousness of God. Yes. William Lane Craig puts it this way. He talks about having a, an inner witness of the spirit as a proof of the existence of God. As a proof of the existence. How do you know God is? How do you know he's your God? How do you know he saved you? How do you know that you have the righteousness of Christ? Because I have an inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now the question then becomes, Christian, have, do you have an inner witness of the Holy Spirit? Not in some kind of spooky, oh, you know, get out the incense and burn and you know sit in you know indian style and i'm talking about a true real 
witness, you know if he's there. You know that the Lord's there. Amen? You know that you have that inner witness of his spirit. And so Paul finishes. Abraham is the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised who walk in the steps of faith so that we can keep walking in the steps of faith because we are his and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's what the power of faith will do. Saving faith that is imputed to us, that is given to us, the righteousness of God, the gift of God, salvation is given to us who believe. We're sealed with the Spirit and we can walk in steps of faith because God is the God of all those who will believe whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved.